I didn't prepare an opening for this one. I, <laughs> I, I had ample time to do so, to think of something snazzy. I just can't do it. I was wrong. I, I gave Nebraska a 10% chance to lose out and, uh, they, they certainly took it. And <laughs> I, uh, in hindsight, overestimated the sustainability of winning despite having four turnovers a game. I, <laughs> turns out that's, that's not a good strategy for consistent winning and, uh, chickens will come home to roost eventually and they sure have. And, but hey, my initial, my initial record prediction of five and seven, uh, comes true. So I still know ball. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Did I settle on five and seven or six and six? Do you, you, you said six and six. Yeah. I mean, I'm close. No cigar. That's the story of being a Husker fan, right? In the 21st century. Um, this one hurts. This one hurts more than other seasons where we haven't made a bowl. Uh, I think that in the past it was great because you knew something new was coming for the last couple of years of the Scott Frost era. You were either like, well, either Scott will improve or we'll get something different that is hopefully better. And, like, either of those two outcomes sounded okay. I know it was a frustrating time for Husker fans, but I think in a lot of ways today where we sit is is more frustrating because we don't know how long it will take for Rule to improve, and we don't know how long we're stuck with him if he doesn't. And I think that's pretty scary as 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 a Husker fan. Uh, I'm not, not optimistic about the future, but I will say that like in, like last year, we all got to get excited at the end of the year, even though we didn't make a bowl game because we beat Iowa with a terrible team. Because I still believe all the things I believe about Nebraska, or about Iowa. I don't think they're that good a team. I think we just were worse. I don't think Wisconsin was that good. And that, that brings me to my other major point about this year. <laughs> even if, you want to give Rule the benefit of the doubt. Looking back on this year, it will be clear that it was a missed opportunity to make a statement. Iowa was bad. Iowa is a bad football team. Minnesota, bad football team. Northwestern, bad football team. We we beat them. We did. I'm, but I'm saying they're about oh, okay. like everybody okay. on the other side of the conference sucks. Yeah. All we had to do, you did not have to be good this year to win the Big Ten West. And a good team has not won the Big Ten West. A bad team that will get spanked and embarrassed by Michigan will be another notch in Kirk Ferentz's coffin as he waits to die in that job. Right? Like, congratulations, I guess, to Iowa. But it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy to you. You just had to put together a team that could competently play Division One football on either side of the ball to win the West this year. This last year of the West. This last year where we have this clear path, if not to the playoff, then to the New Year Six. After this, that becomes a lot less clear. After this, that becomes a lot hazier. This, the last real year of this era of college football, was a missed opportunity for Nebraska. To put themselves back on the map, 
to put themselves back in in conversations. And the thing is, they could have done that at 7 and 5. They did not have to be a good football team to force people to talk about them in the postseason. Because if a bad Nebraska had limped through a win against Wisconsin, which with clock management they could have done, and a win against Iowa, which they very nearly did, if they could have come up with anything but shove a fucking purdy in the quarterback's room this year. I think it's frustrating because it was so close, and it's a missed opportunity. Is it? Is it end times? No. I'm not going to sit here and say that. But it's a missed opportunity. It is. I do uh, appreciate our commitment to the art project of the Big Ten West in its final season. That was beautiful. No notes. But part of the reason the Big Ten is such a bad division is that we're in it. Like, <laughs> we're bad. Like, I... <laughs> People will say, oh, the yeah, schedule was weak. You, you contribute to the shittiness. It, it was weak for every team who had us on the schedule as well. We're bad. We're not starting from a good place. Cal field goal. Nice. That's good for I them. I would love it if it was a game that makes me a Cal fan. <laughs> Hey, I want to be one so bad. It's just like I can't do more shitty football in my life. Hey, Cal is improving. Cal is a yes. There's something happening okay. at Cal. It has Let been years since question. I've been able Let to say that. Let me ask you a question. Does Cal win this iteration of the Big Ten West this year? No. Really? No. Cal. Cal would does, lose to does Iowa. Oregon... Oregon, yes. Who's a... Okay. Oregon. No, Oregon State. Oregon State. Probably. That's a strong probably. Okay. Does, does Colorado? Hell no. Mm, the wheels just fell off that bus too hard. They, they had no depth. That, that was a pretty clear, uh, reading of the situation down there in Colorado is that that team was built for September and then once the conference slide of the season happens. Uh they built the team with transfers at the skill skill positions and they told everyone who would have been their backups to transfer. So it was basically a layer of transfers, then a layer of walk-ons. And then the second those dominoes start to fall as season injuries take their toll, they had nothing. And then they had nothing on the lines and the line just got worse and worse as the season went on. You can't win football games like that. So all in all, a pretty uh, sensical year for Colorado, I would say. So I, I think they probably finished similarly in the Big Ten West this year just because that team was not okay. built to compete. I'm curious how far down the rankings we can get until you find a team that you don't think could have won this side of the conference. So Iowa is ranked 20. I don't know. Do you think Iowa deserves to be ranked 20th in the nation? Absolutely. They're 10 and 2. Yeah, I guess. I think, I think that point, I don't know. I just, part of it is their style of football is so ugly and hateful that like, I can't. This is their form. 
This is their final form. This is what they have been working all their life to evolve into. And Lord help us if they find it, if they get an offense, because they have worked for the past 20 years to not need one. Like, Iowa is a bad football team, but they are good at being bad. They are better at being bad than anyone has ever been. So that is something in and of itself. And I, yeah, I I think around 20th is right for Iowa. And I don't see too many teams who are beneath them in that rankings winning this Big Ten West. They'd win it if there was no Iowa, but Iowa has something happening there. Again, I don't have to respect it. I I don't have to like it. I just, I just know that it's there. So, yeah, I take that point. Yeah. But so this was absolutely a missed opportunity. But I think some of that is just unfortunate timing because Matt Rule, the one thing that's uh, been true throughout his previous coaching stops in college, he is not a year one guy. No. Statistically, this is far and away his best year one. He is a process coach. He does things the way he does things. He gets players with the style he wants to get them in. And then by year two, and then especially year three, all the pieces come together and they form what he wants to see. It is a Mm -hmm. three-year plan for Matt Rule. That's what it's been everywhere he's been. Year one Mm -hmm. has always been the worst of those three years. And what did we happen to get him in in this great opportunity in year one? Not to say that he didn't leave wins on the table this year. That much is obvious. I think that, uh, but also, uh, the one year you reach all your goals is not the type of coach Matt Rule is. Like, he, (laughs) that's, that's just not who we hired. You know, it's, it's going to be a long off season because if he still has got it with his process, we're going to know the next season. And I don't know if he does, but part of the reason why I'm kind of like not freaking out or super angry is that this is kind of going back twice after the Colorado game. This was sort of a data gathering year to where mm. is he starting to where can he improve to? And that's the coach we hired. And just looking from his history, that's how his coaching tenure should be studied is over the course of his three-year plan. And this is the first year in that. So, yes, there was definitely very bad things in there, particularly the finish. Definitely things I'm not happy about. But this could end up just being, you know, just a missed opportunity to win the West one last time but not a missed opportunity to get out of this team what rule can possibly get out of it. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm saying that. I think I'm saying that if you look at it, I'm not even looking at it from rules perspective. I'm trying to look at it from a program wide perspective. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For the program, 
for Husker fans, this is the kind of year that you would have circled on your calendar and said, hmm, if if I gave you all of these conditions, all other things about the program being equal, like let's say when when Mike Riley left and Scott Frost came in, if I said all other things being equal, does a year with a relatively weak Big Ten West, it's weak with a lot point. of its weakest point, yeah, with a and frankly, I would say a couple of these teams that were on our schedule were the kind of games where organizationally, because of things that were happening behind the scenes, you would say those should be softball games. Damn, you cut out. Shit. Are we back? Yes. No, man, I don't know. It feels like a missed opportunity. It feels kind of embarrassing, Um, I think, as a Husker fan, to be like, man, we put out a guy named Chubba, and he blew it. No, seriously. No, seriously. That's what we've come to. It's just a, a funny name. It's Ch- true, but it's a funny sentence. No, no, no. I put like, I know what I'm trying to say it in a serious context, but there's no way to say it. Like, we're a joke. We've been a joke. We remain a joke. The whole hope was that rule could stop us from having these absolute fucking joke losses. These one score, last minute, choker ass joke, Tottenham bullshit. Fucking asshole losses. This is going to be a not safe for work episode. But then again, most Iowa game episodes have been. They throw it up on the screen every time. This like, you know what? They've lost five of the last six or whatever. And like, Husker fans can't argue with that. We just can't. Husker fans can't argue with the fact as much as I don't like Iowa that I would trade trade places with them in a moment. And that, like, I don't know. It's time. It's time to get like, you know. You know what I think the real test of the season was, and this sucks. Uh, having moved away this year, I really wanted Husker football to feel like a fun connection to home. Um, and like, like you never really... left. <laughs> I know, right? Same old shit. I can move across the country and the Huskers still just suck in embarrassing fashion. Um, and like, I, I really wanted to have like a fun way to connect with the people from back home and think about home. And like, Justin, I love podcasting with you. Don't get me wrong, but I am honestly more excited to podcast during this off season about just like random bullshit we want to talk about. With lo- I'm getting more into men's and women's NCAA basketball this year. I'm like, you know, uh, I think baseball free agency is going to be fun. I think that this year's off season could be a lot more fun pods than what is normally our busy season. And like, can I be honest with you? Like, this is this is also a programming note. So if you want to cut it because we don't want to be too transparent with the listeners, that's fine. The last four weeks have been super fucking busy on my front, and I assume yours too, with high school football going on, and, like, this time of year just tends to be insane, right? Uh But, like, 
honestly, I think that if we had won any one of those games, I would have been like, we have to pod. We have to pod right now because the situation has changed. We have made a bowl game. For the first time, I will say in the pod's history, we would have made a bowl game. With a win over any four, four of these teams, we had four opportunities against beatable teams. It's just, it's miserable. It sucks to be a Husker fan. It sucks. I, like, thank God for it. I, I don't want to complain too much. I understand that as a fan, but it's just so freaking frustrating, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of knew we were screwed when, uh, I had multiple dreams of Nebraska making a bowl and me being happy in those dreams. It's like, okay, that's that's just never going to happen then, is it? <laughs> that's a bad side. That's a bad side. That's a bad I side. didn't – I think part of the reason it hurt so bad is I didn't know we were screwed until that ball left Chubba's hands on the last drive. But once it did, I knew we were screwed before it found a receiver. Or, I'm sorry, a fucking secondary. Uh, player for Iowa because that was a linebacker, like, I think. See what? Yeah, like it was such a terrible throw from such a terrible man. I, I like. I hate this quarterback room. I know it's not Christian of me. You know, all of our grade school teachers can can smack my wrists for that one with a ruler if they want. But like, I hate him, man. I hope Jeff Sims has a kind of like, I, you know, I wish Jeff Sims the best. He seems like a nice young man, and Heinrich Harburg can sell siding and Carney for the rest of his life. But Shubba Purdy, I hope he has kind of a bad time on this planet. Like, I just, I'm so frustrated with, like, we just needed one of the three of them to not, we didn't need a good quarterback. We needed a quarterback, and we couldn't out of those three. And I agree, like, Heinrich, I think I think you said this. If you didn't, maybe it was Drake. Shout out Drake. But uh Drake's, Drake's takes, TM, have been keeping me sane this entire Husker football season, so I don't know if he ever listens to the pod, but, like, truly the voice of reason in most of the content and conversations I have about Husker football are just rabid sobbing and tears at all times, and Drake is able to be like, hmm, that's really bad football. Let's talk about why it's bad. And, like, I'm sorry if folks come to this podcast and want that, but all I have for you is just fan anger. So, like, just in the nick of time, the podcast of fan anger and sorrow. Zero percent analysis, a hundred percent emotion. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, number one, <laughs> I, the part of me is like, okay, it feel, feels weird you insulting Chubba, but then like, oh, his brother's rich. He'll be fine forever. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not like, I don't actually want him to have a bad life. What I'm saying is the worst part of me is like, oh my god, you suck so bad, I hate you. There's, there's, just there's so clear. much to what you said there that I'm not even really sure where to start, but. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I told myself I was going to keep it in the pocket on this one. I just got frustrated. I want to, I'll, I'll go off, off the last thing you said there. Cause I did have a point about this. It's a very silly thing to say out loud, but it doesn't make it not true. Isn't it encouraging in a way that all of our losses came down to the same thing? 
which was quarterbacking. Like if, if you look, if you look at the Scott Frost years from hell, like the, the three, the best three and nine team ever year, there were a bunch of weird stuff that happened that led to those three and nine teams that you punted to the wrong guy. You had a defense that couldn't stop Art Sitkowski in Illinois. You had, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think a a lot of different things, but here you have three losses that can be pinned on late turnovers by the quarterback and just like that to me signals a fixable issue. You're a quarterback away. Luckily, we have an avenue now where there are quarterbacks you can bring in. Does bringing Jeff Sims signal confidence they'll find the right one? Not necessarily, but I do think that, uh, I am not in the position to recruit anybody. Uh, that is, I've never tried to do that, but I do think we are a quarterback away. If you can just keep the lights on, we're <laughs> a good team <laughs> is an attractive pitch to any quarterback who would want to be part of a good team. It's like the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets pitch minus living in New York City. <laughs> so, you know, I I think that's oddly encouraging. It's it's nothing we're going to get an answer to uh until they pull a quarterback from the portal, which I do believe they will. Uh they did it last I bet they, Yeah, I I bet they're already on it. Yeah. If not too, I Sims I highly highly doubt he sticks around. Ditto for Purdy. Heinrich I think stays. And honestly, uh, I would want him to stay the most out of the three simply because Mm -hmm. we have seen him win football games, which we have not seen from the other two. Heinrich was the quarterback for all five of the wins. All five of the wins were by Heinrich. You can uh, comb over his performances and say he did X, Y, or Z worse than Purdy or Sims. But the truth of the matter is when Nebraska had won this year, it was Heinrich Harburg at quarterback. That is all you can ask for a backup quarterback is that they can come in and win you five games if you your starter is out for five games. That's all yeah, you can ask I for a backup. That's why I say keep Heinrich around. Shop till you drop in the portal. Like, bring in two. I'm, I'm dead serious. Br- bring in two transfer portal quarterbacks. Make them, yep. make them fight. Like, and one of them, one of them can be a high risk, high reward guy. One of them can be a Sims type, but the other one needs to be a bona fide. This is what this guy is going to give you, right? Uh, find a find a guy who was gonna ride the pine at a school with a great quarterback, if you can, and and put him up against maybe a wild card, right? But but. Order number one, order of business, numero uno, needs to be a quarterback. And I'm not sure that there is an order of business number two. To your point, every game we lost this year came down to two things. One, some teams beat us because they were more talented than us in every goddamn position. You're going to lose to Michigan. You're going to lose to Michigan. You're, you're probably gonna lose that Colorado game even with a better quarterback in hindsight because that Colorado team, we hit them at their peak, at their pinnacle as a team. If we had played them later, 
I don't know. And maybe a better quarterback ekes one out, but I don't know. There were, you can't fix that. What you can fix is finding a quarterback. And then like I, like you said, I think, you know, the process. We're not losing anybody this year where I'm panicking over losing that senior. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have the wrong read of this locker room, but I, I don't know. Where are you at with that? Okay. The, there are guys I'm going to miss, obviously, but, but can sure. I do a, can I tell you a hypothetical real quick about this? Please. Season? Please. What if I told you uh, at the start of the season that for the vast majority of the year, our starting quarterback, Heinrich Harburg, our starting running back, Emmett Johnson, our wide receiving core, Billy Kemp, who is on again, off again due to injury, and freshmen and sophomores who have never played a snap of wide receiver at Nebraska football. Three of our five offensive linemen are going to miss time or play injured. How many wins do you think that offense has? Do you think it's more than five? No. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) blame a lot of things. I will. I have. But what more, like, (laughs) could we have gotten out of this group besides getting them to the point where a quarterback turnover away from winning a game offensively? You know, yeah, right. it, it, several turnovers. Yes, several opportunities away from a bowl game, and it's and it's Being ju- just the quarterbacks too. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it, my best guesstimation of where they were based on when I last looked: running backs, receivers, and returners have had either six or seven fumbles the entire season. Every other turnover that led us to like 30 or 33 is what the total was, were quarterbacks. Quarterback interceptions and quarterback fumbles. Granted, like six or seven, whatever it is, that's not great. But over a 12-game season, that's like less than one per game from that group. Every turnover problem we had was a quarterback turnover problem. I'm doing like a politician thing where it's like, oh, the, the way you phrase it is important when you talk about the issue. But I think it is. We had a quarterback turnovers problem at Nebraska. The the rest of the turnovers no, kind of in line for what you expect from a football team. The quarterback turnovers, insanely, insanely bad. Yeah, I think I think you have to. I think you have to look at it that way. Um, for this year. Now, there are a few things, like, for instance, if next year, um, we are losing games because of quarterback turnovers, ooh, you think I'm grumpy today? And this is not the most grumpy I have been on this podcast. Let's be real about that. No. But like, we, I, I have a zero tolerance policy for losing games because of shit quarterbacking next year. And all Husker fans should adopt that approach. I feel really strongly. And you know what's different about this coach from the last one? Yeah. I don't know if Matt Rule cares what the fans say, but Matt Rule's clearly listening to what the fans say and what's in the media. Because a couple weeks ago, when everybody said, hey, this Satterfield guy can't coach an offense, he came out and said, 
you know what? I've heard the criticism. He's my guy. Please lay the criticism at my feet. Which, let me be clear, is a terrible answer for any leader of an organization. When people outside the organization can see that something is not your fault, don't make it your fault. Don't then go and be like, no, I'm covering because I'm such a good guy. Be like, yeah, we have some issues in that department. Ultimately, it's on me to help get those fixed. But regardless of that, he did answer the fans. He did answer the criticism. And I think that's notably different than Scott Frost coming out there and putting together some goddamn word soup. Yeah, I I did. I do know what answer you're referring to. And uh, that has stuck in my mind. Number one, a thing you kind of left out was that a thing that I really had never really heard a coach say in that way was he said fans should criticize them and fans should talk about the coaches and and fans should you know you know say that x coach isn't doing or fit for whatever job he falls on the sword because that's that's kind of a verbal crutch he does whenever he talks about a team's errors is just kind of you know, oh, we we didn't do X, Y, or Z, or oh, Ch- you know, Chubb didn't make that read. But ultimately, that's on me. If, if you want to criticize him like that, on me. He says that all the time. I think, yeah, and I guess, kind of what he thinks you know, he that, should say. And again, you know, you don't want your head coach throwing people under the, the bus. And I do think he qualified that with a very interesting. Uh, fans should talk about that. But he finished his statement with a after he said the fan disclaimer, and after he said the blame me. He went on a like a rant about how, but how he thought firing Satterfield would be a ludicrous idea. Just a mini rant. He's like, you, you know, you're telling me you want to bring in a new guy with all new verbiage, all, all we just started building something here year one. No, 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 that doesn't happen. So he seemed like to double down at the end of that statement right after two verbal qualifications that is a Matt real press conference and a half for you that is that is peak rule and it's something i'm learning to really appreciate about rule uh because that i don't think his guy disclaimer well, yeah well no but like i'm saying i don't think he minces words too often and i don't know it's so nice to have an adult in the room uh it's so nice to have a guy who's talking about the reasons we lost it's so nice to not worry about when we're gonna onside kick like, all of those things are nice. And listen, the tone of this, the thing about this sport is that the tone of this podcast, I think for both of us, would be completely different if we won one of those last four games. Insane. And I sort of alluded in our last podcast is that, like, this is all that matters. Yes, we can talk about development. Yes, I think this team would beat last year's team. Yes, I think that there's even if it's not as talented, I think it beats last year's team. Like At five is a bigger number than four. That is what the undeniable zone of progress means. We we just kind of yeah. reached that level, then stopped upgrading our character. Yeah, and I, I, I yes, we are in the undeniable zone of progress. I love that term, by the way. I think you should trademark it. But like, just... yeah, we, we just saw the welcome sign pulled over to the side of the road and parked that car right there. No need to drive further. 
that's where all of that excitement during the last pod came from. Yes. Was, oh, undeniable zone of progress. And we thought for sure this wouldn't be the outcome. But here we are. I don't know. (laughs) Bummer of a season. Would have been fun to go to a bowl. But at the same time, it's just like, I'm kind of relieved. Like, did I really want to watch the Quicken Loans Bowl? Did I want to watch, like... I don't know. Who would we have played? I don't know. Probably not somebody that good. We we well, had an outside chance at a 5-7 and seven bid, but that got taken away let's, today. Let's, let's check in on Cal here, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we'd play like a Cal. Yeah. Like, dude, do you, do you want to see us lose to a Cal? I don't know. That would not. It'd be interesting to see what would happen. And it also, like, a lot of the joy of the bowl is kind of a, if you go, like, the inside baseball here is the 15 extra practices that you get because of a bowl. That's people, fair. People swear that helps a lot, and I'm not doubting that, but. Well, I think that that stands to reason after watching this team really suffer off-season after off-season. Yeah. Uh, over the last couple of years. Because we were packing it up way earlier than a lot of our opponents. True. And, like, this is the longest Power 5 bowl drought. Every other Power 5 team has made a bowl game since Nebraska last made a bowl game. That's Every other program has had positive momentum more recently than Nebraska has. On those grounds This is why I get so mad at voices who say, don't panic. That stat means it's okay to be unhappy with what's happening. It's okay to voice that displeasure and wish that there was a different vibe going on. But I will, on that note, make a fresh Zoom room. Woo! Woo! So 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 here's the buffet of options of things I found interesting that we didn't really go into too much on yet. Uh, One, uh, our, 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 our Zoom originally froze when you were talking about how bad of an missed opportunity this was for the state of the program as a whole, just outside of rule and outside of this team, given that this was the last year of the Big Ten West and the future is going to be a lot weirder. Uh, two, I think there is some plausible deniability with Satterfield that he's not the problem, and we can discuss that in his job. Three, you threw the word Tottenham, I believe, in your curse word spur, and I just want to... uh I, I know that's supposed to be an insult of some sort. I want to know what exactly that is, because I, I know that was a banger of a joke if I caught that and I'm missing the context. <laughs> okay, so this is this is a beautiful uh, bouquet of options that you have, have handcrafted for our listeners, and I think we can do all three. Okay. Although I don't have many feelings about Satterfield that are, like, more complicated than, like, boy, you're ugly and I don't like you. Oh, but like, if you can help add maybe a little bit more nuance to that conversation, I would be thrilled. Um, the other two, so the first one, Tottenham. Tottenham Hotspur are the Nebraska Huskers of the Premier League. Um, Tottenham Hotspur famously can't win a trophy. Um, they are consistently one of the six Normally one of the four best teams in Britain. Um, they are, they have a hot new manager from Glasgow Celtic, 
uh, Ange Postacoglu, a man who Justin Ooh. Slipichka would love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I'm going to try to Aust- Google that based on hearing that name once. <laughs> Postacoglu, I'll give you the hint that it's Greek. I, I, I gathered uh-huh. the Greek. The, 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 oh, there are the in places that is a very Greek thing. That's your linguistics tip of the day. That is, I forget that you have these like random skills that I just like, I, ah, you would be so helpful as like, as like the, the, the all around guy in a heist movie. You know who I'm talking about? The guy who like George Clooney is, you don't know what you need him for, but you need him. Yeah. They'll show me a piece of paper and I'll be like, huh, that looks Korean. And they'll be like, yeah, that was Korean. I'll like, oh, perfect. Got it. I, I need to get better at identifying Asian languages off site. I, I, I know what, uh, Chinese looks like. I'm working on it. How will it, how will it improve your life? You said, I think your choice of words is critical here. You said, I need to get better at improving my, my... It, it makes me, it make me feel less sad when I can't do it, you know? Because there's not a whole lot of them, and they're they're more distinct than you realize. And it's like, ah, uh, I I haven't really committed to studying them outside of just whatever I happen to pick up that has them on it. And I think that uh, if I could just do that, that would that would make me feel better about myself. That oh, I I, I I'm not some uh Westerner who's deaf to the culture of the world. I can. I can know what different Asian writings are just by looking at them, which is something that many people in that part of the world can do. Is like, oh, and now I can do it too. And also, second note of that, uh, as we may have said on the pod before, I do like coins. Uh, collecting coins is, is a oh. new interest of mine. And, uh, I, <laughs> sometimes, uh, you'll come across some, uh, coins with Asian writing on them, and I'd like to immediately know where they're from. Especially since uh, this company that you can order coins from, that's how I've been getting a lot of the not intended for circulation dollar coins. They'll give you just like a bag of 100 random coins from around the world. And if I haven't ordered that yet. I think that's going to be a Christmas gift. So if I get those, I want to like immediately know what coin I'm looking at if it has like some Asian writing on it. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's Malaysian or, or, or that's Korean. It's like, okay. I feel like that would feel so cool to do. Cause like if I just like found that coin on the street, I'd be like, Oh, it's, it's a Malaysian uh, five cent piece. And then that would just like feel so powerful to do that. I think one of the things that's like really interesting about Asian writing and Asian language generally to me, and this is not where I thought our podcast would go, but I'm obsessed with it. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting to Asians, to me about Asian scripts is like, they are so similar and yet so different, right? And like, there's certain underlying, and also one of the things that's so interesting to me about languages that I feel like when you grow up in the Western world, you don't understand is like, well, like, I think this is a particularly North American and European problem, but in Spain, they speak Spanish and in Portugal, they speak Portuguese 
And in England, they speak England. And in Ireland, they speak English and Irish, right? And in Scotland, they speak English and Scots. And, like, if you've got two languages, it's just your colonizer plus you, right? Like, that's as complicated as it gets with the notable, and I say notable, exception of the Balkans. But, uh, regardless... Nice. <laughs> Generally, it's a, it's a it's a one-to-one lines on a map to a language thing. Yeah. I think that that's part of the reason that we construct nationality in such a sort of specific to the West way. Uh, and like, yes, nationality is broadly, I think, at least the way we conceive it is a Western idea, right? Like it means something very different in other parts of the world. But understanding that China is so big and so diverse that you could speak the two majorist languages, Mandarin and Cantonese. Thank you for shouting out Cantonese. That has like a billion speakers and it's never brought up as like world languages. If you ask any people to name like five languages, they'll give you, you know, they'll probably give you Chinese and then English, Spanish, Italian, French. They'll, they'll, they'll rattle off all of Europe, but they're missing a language has like a billion speakers, which is Cantonese. That like, really it's, it's like... so weird how little knowledge there is of that language outside of like its speaker base. Cause it's such a huge language in the world. And like, you, you ask people, where is Cantonese spoken? And they're going to go Canton, Ohio. Yeah, I have always thought it would be really funny to open, like, a bomb-ass dim sum restaurant in Canton, Ohio. Uh That would be truly incredible. No, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, also, the, the, the thing that I think you missed there is, like, what about Hindi? True. What about Farsi? Far- yeah, Farsi is huge. Widely spoken languages. Yeah, like, it's so... Yeah. Okay. No disrespect. To our dear, dear friends who learn languages like, I'm going to pick on them, French. Like, let me be clear. I think learning languages is cool. I'm really bad at it. It's something that I wish I was better at. But it's one of those things where in my life I have said I am not going to force a brain that doesn't want to do this to do this. I wish I was better, though. I And, like, again, I think any learning any language is cool and an awesome endeavor. We can have the lovely Nikki Kreutzian on, a German major, to talk about how good learning languages is, right? And I think it's great and makes people smarter and makes the world a smaller place, which is a good thing. Globalization, bad. But the point I'm trying to actually drive is that, like, even if you're, even if you're not going to make connections with someone halfway across the world who speaks Cantonese, I think it's important to know that they exist, that they're there, and that they are socially, politically, economically different and distinct and important from those who speak Mandarin. And furthermore, America is a big country obsessed with feeling small. No, seriously, America, I can't believe this is a college football podcast, but America. I, I, I is, wasn't laughing at you. I was, I was laughing at the UCLA Cal game, which has gotten so packed 12 after dark. It, it's delightful. UCLA shanked the 23 yard field goal, then Cal immediately throws a pick. Continue. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> Continue uh, with, with this. This is fascinating. 
No, no, no. But I'm saying seriously, like I no, think the true. world feels. I I think the world feels like a different place when you. And then here's the thing. I'm seriously. If if you feel like talking about like Uyghur Muslims is political, then I don't want you listening to our podcast. I don't think that's a big political statement. But like, it's harder to genocide groups if people know who they are. For instance, we couldn't kill everyone from Ohio. Yeah. Because we all know people from Ohio or people who have been to Ohio or people who have family in Ohio. So, but like, that's why in far flung places of the world, your, your cultural relevance can keep you alive. That's very true. So, so yeah. Learn as much as you can about the world, not even as much as you can just in like a nerdy way, but just like know what things are and where they are and what they is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because your Western eyes, your privileged Western eyes, just in the nick of time, listener, matter. What you consume, what you talk about sets the agenda for a superpower. <laughs> UCLA just scored a touchdown and the graphic read first name, last name, XX Yard Rush. Okay, to be fair though, that was a mess of a touchdown. <laughs> I'm getting screenshot it because it's Fubo. <laughs> first name, last name, XX Yard Rush. Oh. I love oh, how you... I've just been laughing at inopportune times during your very important monologue <laughs> because UCLA Cal won't stop being stupid. It's also, just to be perfectly clear, a Thai football game now. <laughs> and we mean Thai as in a 6-6, a six to six, not as in, not as in to the country of Thailand. Yeah, no, no. Thai as in a not. Also, just to be perfectly clear, not tied as in the laundry detergent or as in the thing that laps across the beach. And isn't it concerning that I thought about laundry detergent before the natural phenomenon there? That is... I I can say I didn't. I'm I'm a good student of nature. Oh, that's what it is. For brands. Yeah, welcome to Just in the Nick of Time. Our guest today is John Muir over here. I say as the person who literally has a room dedicated to collecting cereal boxes with cross-brand promotions on them. Justin, buddy, I love you so much, and I'm so excited we get to talk about things other than this terrible Husker team. <laughs> I'll take your kickoff back. <laughs> what? My screen is for a touchdown. Why are we killing this fucking conference? This is the most beautiful game of the weekend. (laughs) And then they pan to the crowd, and they saw a man wearing a shirt that was too tight, a fully grown man that said University of California mom. That shirt is too tight. Is this this in Berkeley? Is this happening right now? This is in in Los Angeles. This is what the Rose Bowl is seeing. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with that one guy's jacket, which was Cal Colors, but UCLA's name and font. 
Oh, ooh, can I go on a tangent about UCLA's branding identity? Please absolutely do. So, technically, Cal's colors of just navy and yellow gold, not out of the pale to be on UCLA merch, because their brand is a mess. So, look at, look at, look at UCLA football team, and then look at their field. You can go into California University politics on why this is, because I think there might be an answer there. But UCLA's football uniforms are that powder shade of blue, and then, like, Vegas gold tan. And that hasn't really always, like, been the case, but it's been mostly the case. Like, they've always had that tan, and they've always had that blue, occasionally with navy blue as an accent color. Sometimes the UCLA on the helmets has been that navy blue. Also, side note, UCLA and Cal both script helmets. And very kind of similar scripts as well. That could be another uh, a thing that California does. You know more about this than me. But I know a lot about the UCLA brand identity. So they have those two colors are their main football colors now with occasional navy blue in there. So you think would that be the rest of the university's colors as pretty much all schools have consistent colors across all sports? No. In the end zones of their football stadium, you have the colors the rest of the school uses. A sort of powderish, but also sort of not, it's sort of like sky brighter type of blue. And then yellow gold. Yellow gold, not tan, yellow gold. So you see it there, you see it on UCLA. You'll, it's what the UCLA in the midfield is outlined in. Yellow gold. It's what all other sports use. So... That is similar to the gold that Cal uses. Not a one-to-one shade, but it's pretty similar. And then the navy blue, which is a sort of football-only accent color, is combined with the UCLA school color that UCLA football does not notably use. And UCLA football also refuses to use Clarendon, its traditional number font, for its new uniforms. I assume that's because of font copyright issues, because Clarendon is a beautiful and gorgeous font, and it's super unique in the football uniform landscape that I can't believe they don't go back to it. And I think they have a good look now, but the brand's a mess to where somebody wearing that jacket kind of makes sense, because those are two colors the university uses, never conjunction together, so he could be making a statement on that, or he could just be, you know, making a statement on a rival jacket with opposite team name on it. Funny. Fix your okay. shit, UCLA. I'm sending you a very interesting thing that I just found. Um, I can't believe that I'm about to send this particular thing to you, but it's from Woodbridge High. Here in somewhere, California, explaining all of the ways that you or your student can apply to a University of California school. Why am I sending you this school's internal uh, PowerPoint PDF? Uh, because the second slide indicates something really important. And I want you to tell me if you notice a similarity between literally all of these logos. Are you in the doc? I am. I guess. How did I never put two and two together like that before? They're mm-hmm. all blue and yellow. Some have yep. navy. 
some have yellow. Your UC Davis has the most tannish uh, yellow there. I believe I would not even call that yellow. I'd just call that gold, which gold is a very ambiguous color. Because if you tell, like, different people gold, some will see, like, yellow gold, and some will see, like, tan Vegas gold. Uh, some, mm-hmm. like, the terms in the sports <laughs> uniform community uh, for that is athletic gold is the yellower gold, like what Cal uses. And Vegas gold is the gold that UCLA football uses. So, what's the, the Notre Dame? The only one with Vegas gold on it, because the banana slugs have yellow, the gauchos have yellow, UC Riverside, I believe, has yellow, even though the bear is brown, because the bevels in the Riverside font are yellow, the anteaters, that is sure as heck yellow, then Cal UCLA, and then UC San Diego Tritons, not the same as San Diego University, they're the, uh, uh, Toreros, is you know, pretty standard navy and like cal yellow. So some teams use like yes, UCLA and, and blue, but it's it's like a royal blue too. So the blue kind of changes as well, but the general like gist of all the branding is the same. Can I point something else out to you that I think is important to consider? Absolutely. There are two of these schools who are historically the big UCs that everyone thinks of. And their logos are distinguished in an interesting way. Can you tell me what it is? Their script and everyone else's uh, script. Everyone else's print. What that tells you is also because script logos were much more popular in the 60s and 70s and before is that those two brands literally solidified before the rest of them. The fact that Santa Cruz are the, what are those, the banana slugs? The banana slugs, one of my favorite mascots in the country. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got like the banana slugs and the gauchos and the tritons. Those are obviously newer comers to the area. Yeah. Um, Honestly, Another really interesting thing that I think is worth noting about. So we talk a lot about Northern California and Southern California out here. Do you want to open the third slide of this? I would love and look to. look at where the UCs are. Oh. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so you're going to have to explain some California geography to me. Because a thing I get annoyed mm-hmm. about here in Kearney, Nebraska is that when people from Lincoln or Omaha, the metros, as we call them here in, in Kearney, say that Kearney is in yeah. western Nebraska, when we are very clearly geographically in central Nebraska. Everybody around here says central Nebraska. Central Nebraska Prep is the big magazine. The Tri-Cities are central Nebraska's, you know, thing, and central Nebraska's news covers the Tri-Cities. Western Nebraska is the Sandhills. It's what's basically Wyoming in them. It's the Panhandle. It's Mountain Time. That's Western Nebraska. We are in central Nebraska. We are west of where most of the population is, but geographically we are center and we are distinct culturally and community-wise from Western Nebraska. I don't really get out to Western Nebraska. I don't think I ever really have, aside from that one time my family went to Valentine. So, Hey, Valentine's great. 
Valentine is great. I, that's why I gave them the shout out because Valentine is great. So when I look at this map and you said Southern versus Northern California is a big, big thing here. I clearly see the Southern, but the Northern looks awful central to me. So I'm wondering if does that central call itself Northern and do the people in the true North California get mad at that the same way I get mad at people for calling Kearney central Nebraska? In short, yes. So what's interesting is that if you look at a regular, so, okay, actually on that particular map, you see Davis is where I am sitting right now. I yes. am on the campus of UC as we sit. Um, so Davis is the northern, northernmost point on this map for viewers at home who do not have it pulled up, which is all of you. And the font on this that map is, is Colibri. This must have been, this is a clearly an old document because Microsoft has switched its default font to Aptos, formerly named Bonshrift. A much nicer font, but still not where I think typography should be going. But that's a conversation for a different time. And Davis is, if you look at a map of California, there's a little, like, Captain Hook-type bend. Davis is, like, two paces northeast of that bend. Are you referring to the San Francisco Bay? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. I... Love that for you. So, uh, yeah, I guess the way to explain where Davis is for me is that it's pretty much Sacramento, which is the big city that Davis is right next to, is pretty much in line with, how do I put this? With like the crook of Nevada, right? Yes. Like where the bends into its pants. Handle exactly like like Nevada's basically running a post route. This is where the receiver breaks. We're a sports podcast. Yes, absolutely. Now back to the Captain Hook shape. (laughs) That is the San Francisco Bay. So Berkeley is located. What direction from that? South. Mm, try the other one it is. Parallel? Which in this case means cardinally. East? Yes. Only three guesses out of four possible correct options. Um, one of your guesses was not one of those options. <laughs> Although I think from now on, I will be referring to the East Bay region as the Parallel Bay. It's um, mathematically accurate. Draw so some lines. See where they line up. Here is what is so strange about our lovely little world out here in California. I live in the Sacramento Valley. Okay, I live in what is technically the valley between Sacramento and, well, okay, if you're looking at that first map, because I don't want to send you too many maps to confusion, I'm about to send you another one. Okay, I'm looking at the map. on On the post route, right, 
Yes. There's one range, range of mountains known as the Sierra Nevadas. Okay. Yep. And then up on the opposite side, on the squiggle, some might call it a sur. Um, on the west coast of California, there's another range called the coastal range, right? Davis exists in the valley in between those two things and is also not the Bay Area, which means it falls into the Sacramento Valley. But five minutes away from my house is another county called Solano County, where I work. Justin, open yet another map. Ooh, Wikipedia, my favorite. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, that's... T- 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 to, uh, why can't I say that word? To, topographical? 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 Yeah, that one. That word. It's a very good one, actually. It's, yeah. a, it's a really interesting copy map. So, so, so I'm seeing it. I'm seeing Solano. That is where I work. Oh. That is where my backpack is. I work in Solano County, which is one of the four North Bay counties. North Bay. I can see it because there's the bay and you're north of it. Well, y- y- so y- Yins is closer to the to the bay than that last map made it look. Like, that last map made uh, Davis look mighty inland. And it may and it may well be, but this Wikiped map, like Solano, the, the county is pretty coastal because it's bordering a coast. So Davis, which well, is not in Solano, is is probably in the county yay uh west of it or north maybe. I can, I can literally if I go on a run from my house, sometimes I cross into Solano County. And I am not a distance runner. So I'm what? Like let me see here. Let me look at Google. This is so good. Park, there's my address, which I'm not going to say out loud for because I'm on. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm technically like a quarter mile. No, that's not true. I'm like two miles from another county and that county is the Bay Area. Okay. So California feels really big, and it is. It is really big. But you have to subdivide it into those two major population groupings that you're looking at in and it is more complicated than this, but like I think this is a broadly good understanding. You have the Northern California population grouping, within which Davis, Berkeley, in this case Santa Cruz and Merced are on sort of that northern part of the map. But Santa Cruz and Merced are like more central. So Northern California, when people are talking about quote-unquote NorCal, they are generally talking about the I-80 corridor, which is just San Francisco Bay over to Sacramento, over to Reno, through Lake Tahoe. So Lake Tahoe is the part of the sea. Yes, it is literally a lake called Tahoe, right? Yeah. Um, But... It is also the sort of part of the Sierra Nevadas directly adjacent to Sacramento. Do you know what the first major 
how do I put this? First of all, do you know the first major development in California? Ooh. Post colonial. Let's say that much. Post colonial. I don't. I, like, uh, it's, is, is there a brand of chips named after it? Hmm. <laughs> okay. We're moving on. No. Brand of chips? I don't know. There, there's a lot of like Spanish sounding words on tortilla chip brands. It's, I'm not thinking of Tostitos. I'm thinking of the stuff that's further down the aisle. Oh, you're asking me if it's like Calidad? Yeah. It's got Cali in the name. Sereros? Maybe. <laughs> what so, is it? It's probably something I've heard the name of before. Uh, I'll give you a hint. My favorite week on the Discovery Channel is Shark Week. Yes. Tiburon? Oh, damn, that's so good and not the answer. Ah. Uh, particular sharks make me feel a little bit chilly. Particular sharks. Mako? Mm, no. Uh, 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 Thresher, Goblin, Whale, um, Oh, you're like up the wrongest tree. Tiger? That's how you're there. No, 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 no. How do I say this? Oh. San Jose? Yes. Oh. That could be a brand of tortilla chips. I'd buy it. Okay, I will, I will formally apologize to you if I Google this and it shows up, but if it doesn't, I'm gonna make fun of you. Why can't I type chips? The the shark score just went across the ESPN ticker. Ah, yeah. They're not good. Nope. But hey, touchdown, pal. You should come. uh, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go Bears. Go Bears. Uh, you should come out and visit sometime and we should go to a Sharks game. Heck yeah. Because I used to go to a Sharks game, but no one to go with. And I feel like just in an NHL game would be baller. That would be a lot of fun. I really want to go. I, I've never been to I, an NHL game. I have been to the arena where they where they play, but I did not watch Is, is that NHL. still the, the SAP Center, SAP? Yes, it is. Yes, what? it is. Owned by. Guess who owns the Sharks? SAP? No. Oh. Another Bay Area sports owner. The only other Bay Area sports owner you probably Joe know. Joe up? He's not. Damn it. Fisher. Oh. Is he the Niners guy? Is... No, Fisher's the A's guy. Oh, Fisher. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's his name. <laughs> <laughs> that is his name. That's scumbag. Um, no, Bay sports are getting less fun, but are still fun. Yeah. Uh, next year's games, man, they're gonna be brutal. <laughs> I need to somehow time it where I can, like, hit a Sharks game and, like, a Zombie A's game in the same year. Oh, that's so, that's so easy. Come in April. Yeah. Oh, 
I was hoping I could swing it to like a week where the Heat would be at the Kings, but they're at the Kings in like February, so dang it. But oh, <laughs> we could oh my god, just in the nick of time extravaganza, we could go to like because we could also go to in April, we could do a sacrifice. But also then again, if you wait till the next fall, we could go to a Cal game. I get to see him play Wake Forest. Go Deeks. Oh my god. <laughs> go Deeks, go. So so where were you going uh, with San Jose? <laughs> was that just to test to see if I knew it? I don't remember. I know I was going somewhere. I was telling people about the Bay Area. Okay, yeah. so here's I was talking let's let's move back to that Wikipedia map that I sent you, please. Absolutely. With the last uh, for those at home, the Wikipedia map is on the article for San Francisco Bay Area. You're getting this information 10 minutes after we've already started talking about this map. Okay, so you see the different color codes, right? Easily. I feel like they're pretty clear. Yep. But, so... There are one, two, three, four, five parts of the Bay Area. We talk about the San Francisco Bay, but San Francisco is a city. It's actually a fairly small city and like the smallest chunk of the Bay Area. It is right on the tip of the peninsula. The peninsula is San Mateo County. That is San Jose. So San Jose is way bigger than San Francisco, but San Francisco is where all the famous stuff is. And San Francisco is genuinely just famous stuff. You turn famous I've houses- I've been there. You've been to San Francisco? When? Yes. Summer after uh, we graduated high school. Oh, great. It's a great town, except right now it's not. But it is a great town. Um, San Mateo is kind of suburban. Santa Clara is pretty suburban, too. Contra Costa and Alameda counties, particularly Alameda County, that's where Oakland is. Um, Industrial, lots of cool art, lots of cool restaurants, stuff like that. Then you have the North Bay. Solano County is in the North Bay. That is where I work. I work in the Bay Area, but I live in Sacramento Valley. The point here to our middle state listeners is that California is not a monolith. And furthermore, no, I cannot come visit you when you come to visit Los Angeles. That is not easy for me. That is like you driving to Denver. What about like the the, the true North California? Do they get a say in anything? It's not just the Hollywood sign. That's what I'm trying to say. No, they don't. There's like Redding is up there. It's really cool. There's lots of national parks, but there's not a lot of people. Good pod. Yup. <laughs> got, got so much ground covered. This may... Literal, actual geographical ground. Yeah. 